0: Welcome to High Point. Welcome to the week after Easter. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point Church we're, we're so thrilled to be here together with you worshiping together growing together and stories like this are one of the reasons one of the main reasons we do what we do Jesus we believe changes everything and last time I checked we're in need of Jesus changing a whole lot. I need him to change me from the floor up and make me a new person because without God, I am nothing. We live in a community that's filled with hopelessness, depression, discouragement, but worst of all, all those things are true that I just said, but worst of all is that people don't know the saving grace of Jesus Meaning that, that there comes a moment where you're going to meet your maker. And Jesus has died for the sins of the world, but the way we receive that gift is by faith. And how will people receive that gift by faith if they never hear the gospel? If they never hear about Jesus, if they're never invited to a church that's preaching about Jesus or talking about Jesus or worshiping Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And we have a community that's desperate for him. And it's stories like that that get me pumped to lace up my shoes and get out and to talk to people about who Christ is and what he's done for me. Jesus has changed everything for David and Nikki. He's changed everything for me too. Amen. Let's do this. Um, I, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter twenty-four. You can follow along on the screen behind me if you've got a uh, the Bible on your phone or if you brought a Bible with you. Before we read the scripture together, I I, I need to talk to you about something that's very controversial. I posted something this this week, and I didn't expect it to be quite as contentious as it, as it really was. And um, I posted something on Facebook, and it really it garnered more comments than maybe any other post in the history of my Facebook feed. And what I posted, I believe to be true, and that's that Brussels sprouts are not good, and they are the greatest deception of the 21st century. They're vile, they're, it it just, here's the deal, everyone keeps saying you don't do it right, and then the encouragement to me is wrap it in bacon, and I want you to hear this, that doesn't make Brussels sprouts better, it just only points to the fact that bacon is amazing. Bacon is amazing. Whether you like Brussels sprouts or not, or as people would say, just put, a little, just put a little Parmesan dusting on it, put a pound of oil on it, soak it for three hours, put it in the oven, turn it over, pull it out, wrap it in bacon, put it back in, and then they'll be great. Never mind the fact that your kitchen will also smell like a giant toilet after you're finished baking them. Oh, yeah, we're going there today, church. This is, this is on my heart, you know. <laughs> Here, the reality is this. Whether you like Brussels sprouts or not, I want to like Brussels sprouts. Amy just made them again. And to everyone who's tasted her Brussels sprouts, they're great. I just can't get there. And it's one of those things that people keep raving about them, and I'm disappointed. I'm dealing with disappointment as it pertains to food that everyone else seems to celebrate and I can joke about it and I can post funny things on Facebook but th- there are other disappointments that people deal with I don't I literally heard of one this morning if you went and saw uh, the latest Avenger movie the Avengers movie Endgame you better watch out because you better not be spoiling that for somebody else right Because people are waiting for what is considered to be the the biggest movie in the history of movies. You better not be ruining the ending for somebody because somebody is going to be upset. Which is why somebody got beat up in a movie theater. That's right. Because they went out in the lobby and were talking too loudly about the ending of the movie. So right then and there, they got thumped. People don't like to deal with disappointment, church. It's getting real, okay? It's getting real. The reality is this. um, Life has disappointments. And there's a lot greater disappointments that happen than ruining the end of your favorite movie or Brussels sprouts not being a vegetable that you like but everyone else seems to. we don't do very well with disappointment. You don't actually need to go much further than even just looking at one of the most explosive industries in the world, not just America. And that's in, in I forget what it's actually called, the beautification industry. It's, it's growing at an unprecedented rate, and by 2023, uh, it's expected to be at an $805 billion industry a year. One of the largest, most significant, most financially uh, financial powerhouse, so to speak, is the industry of beautification. And one of the reasons that it's driven so much is that we don't want to look in the mirror and be disappointed at what we see. And everything is being sold to us and given to us in such a way that we feel compelled to have to do something about it because the last thing we want to do is be a disappointment or to feel disappointed. We're a culture that celebrates every kind of ideology. And one of the reasons that's the case is because we we are a culture that absolutely abhors feeling any kind of pain. And so we celebrate everything. The younger you are, the quicker we are to celebrate it. Because lo and behold, the last thing we want anyone to ever experience is challenge or pain or disappointment. And so we do every single thing we can to remove any chance of someone feeling bad about any situation in their life, or having to even just face hardship or wrestle with difficult questions. We don't like disappointment. We do not like difficulty. But I want you to understand this, this morning, that just because something is difficult doesn't mean God is not in it. Because for us, most of the time, especially when it comes to things of faith, we, we run from anything that feels difficult, and consequently, many of the things that God might be drawing you into, conversations that need to happen, prayers that need to be prayed, ideologies that need to be examined or re-examined, philosophies of the day. God would have us look at, pray about, Talk about, alter, change, redirect. And because it's difficult, many times we choose to avoid it. But I want you to know that many times God is in the difficult places. He's in those wrestling spots. Turn to Luke 24 because we're going to to engage in a conversation this morning with two people who had to do some wrestling where Jesus challenged two people on the road to Emmaus. You guys ready this morning? You guys ready this morning? Here we go. Let's do this. Luke chapter 24. This is going to be a story that we progress through. Okay? It is a, it's a it's a longer story, so bear with me. I'm going to chop it up into little pieces, but it's going to play out a little bit like a movie today. And we're just going to break this thing down and see how it relates to you and I as we continue to grow, either in faith for the first time. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you haven't put your faith in Jesus at all. Maybe you're like David or Nikki that you saw on the video. Maybe you've heard about Jesus, but you've never had a moment where Jesus has been your Lord and Savior. You may need a moment. Or maybe you're sitting here and and you have done that, but, but that relationship has slipped. Right, and it hasn't, it hasn't maintained as the first love of your life, and you're just kind of cruising and coasting. I've got great news for you today. Jesus changes everything, wherever you are. Luke 24, verse 13. This is the day of the resurrection, might I add. That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Don't you love Jesus sometimes? What are you guys talking about? As if he doesn't know. What are you discussing together? They stood still. Their face is downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Are you the only one? How do you not know what's going on? Can you imagine the difficulty and the discouragement and the disappointment these two people are facing? The resurrection is taking place, and we'll get to it in a second. But long story short, these two people have set out for Emmaus. They were in Jerusalem where the heart of everything is taking place. But they, you know, they, they pack their bags in the face of everything that has happened. the the The, 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 the suitcase is open on the bed. Clothes are getting folded and put inside it, and the the lid is shut, and the zipper goes around, and, and, and they decide they're leaving for Emmaus. They don't know what to make of all this. And they're walking together, and you know how it is when there's something that is just so deeply on your heart. You're burdened by it. You're bothered by it. You're stressed by it. You can't sleep because of it. You just got to talk about You can't help but talk about it. It's all you think about. It's all you talk about. It's all. It's all. It's everything. And that's what's happening here is they're bearing their hearts to each other and they're walking the seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus and Jesus comes up to them and says, hey, what are you talking about? And it causes them to stop. They stop walking. And their face... Both of their faces were downcast, filled with sadness and sorrow. Are you the only one who doesn't know? Dude, are you the only one who doesn't know? Jesus says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I'll say that one more time, verse 21. We had hoped. He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. If you're not catching the heartache in this passage, hear it now. And we had hoped that Jesus was going to do this. But he's dead. He's gone. And our hearts are broken. And so we're going back to Emmaus. What is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. This is one of my favorite stories, and it plays just like a movie. If you know me, you know I love movies. They're packing their bags, and they've left. And what is interesting is that all of the things that we look at in the Scriptures and we, our eyes are wide open at, it and we think, oh, my gosh, can you imagine seeing that? Or could you imagine being there? Or could you imagine being in this conversation? And yet they were witnesses to all of it. And yet instead of sticking around to see what has happened to Jesus, they pack their bags and they just leave and they walk away, which is what most of the disciples are also doing, might I add. And yet, he's even citing detailed events. These are not casual inquirers. The name of this gentleman, his name is Cleopas. And we know from the book of John that it's his wife. Her her name is also Mary that is at the foot of the cross with two other Marys. It's his wife. We're not talking about people that were distant followers or were somehow part of the crowd. These two people were intimately acquainted with the details of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They knew that he was the hope of Israel. They were hoping for him to do something. They were hoping for change. Many theologians believe that the person that's with Cleopas isn't another man, but it's actually his wife. She doesn't get named in this moment. She's named in the book of John and named throughout the different Gospels. And Cleopas's name also goes by the name of Alpheus. And so we have a couple in the church, Mary and Cleopas, also known as Alpheus, whose son is James the Younger, James the Lesser, who is one of the original twelve apostles if you grew up in like a i don't know if, if if you had that house when you grew up where everybody wouldn't hang out at right my house happened to be kind of the it house for our little group of people we had places to entertain and and parents my parents were loved to be involved in the lives of the teens you know as i was a teenager and this was you know i grew up going to a church not everybody grew up going to church but Your house still might have been that house. I imagine when it came to the the 12 and when it came to the original kind of group of disciples, you've got a mom and dad here. The mom and dad of one of the 12. I imagine a mama bear and a daddy who's just involved in all this, cheering everybody on, hanging out. Love and being a part of what the the young rascally generation is a part of. Yet somehow in all of it, they're swept up in it as well. And they've become believers. But somehow the the, the, the penny hasn't fully dropped as to what Jesus' real mission is here for. What he's really here to do. And so in all of this, the women went to the tomb. Jesus isn't there. They said they saw some angels. It's unbelievable what's going on. But we're not going to stick around to find out. We're leaving. And away we go. So when we say that Jesus has shown up and he's making his appearances to people, this is not some insignificant visitation from Christ to two disciples. These are people who are intimately acquainted with what's going on in the resurrection and have great influence and whose son goes on to be one of the original 12 apostles who is getting the gospel out to the nations. This is a big deal. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. There are things that I promise you that you've hoped for that you haven't seen happen, and it's left you disappointed. It's left you dis- discouraged. It's left you wondering where God is in all of it. You're trying to get all the answers, but you don't actually have them. But when is the last time you had all the answers? Never. Even though I'm desperately trying to live and hang on and control my life in such a way that I do. And I find myself frustrated because God has never asked you to have all the right answers or me to have all the answers or to have everything figured out. But he has asked you to believe him and to trust him and to follow him. And I realize that can sound thin when you're looking at cancer and you you don't have answers and you hoped God was going to change this situation or you've got a marriage and God hasn't changed this situation that, you thought he was going to do or a a, a situation with a child or a situation with a relationship or a situation with money and you're hoping and you're hoping and you're hoping and you're hoping. You may have a situation at a high school or at a middle school, at an elementary school with HB kids in the back. Oh, don't think that they don't have stresses and worries. They do. We have prayer time in our house and my kids always, they never cease to surprise me with things that they want to pray about. Little things are on their heart. I had hoped you were going to do this. I would hoped you were going to take away my asthma, God. But you haven't yet. Are you a healer? Or are you not? And so Jesus says to them in Luke 24, he says, how foolish you are. (laughs) Just... Can we just kind of take a deep breath for for a second? Everybody take a deep breath. Let it in, let it out, okay? Because this starts off really serious with two people who are deeply burdened, their faces are downcast, they're sad, they're disappointed, they're probably depressed. And instead of Jesus giving them a pat on the back and saying, it's going to be okay, Just cry my shoulder. Let's, let's, let's cry it out, man. Come on. Let's get it out. No. The Jesus of, of all compassion, the Jesus of all mercy, of all grace, he looks at them in their moment of need, and he says, man, you're, you're kind of thinking like a fool. And in our culture, that is absolute. that abhors anything that would make you feel even mildly uncomfortable. We don't like this version of Jesus. We love to write the Jesus out of the pages that has really hard things to say. Or the Jesus who is flipping tables and cracking whips. Or the Jesus who's rebuking his disciple Peter and looks at him and says, Get behind me, Satan. I mean, I've been called a lot of things, but if, if Jesus came down and looked at me and said, you're pretty much acting like Satan right now, I'd have a hard time recovering from that. I'm not going to lie to you. I think a lot of you would too. That'd be hard, would it not? Jesus had some hard truth at times. And I want you to hear this, church, because we've got it in our minds that the only version of Jesus is a fuzzy version that makes you feel good all the time about yourself, and that the self is the center of the gospel, and it's not the center of the gospel. God does not mind hurting your feelings. He doesn't mind hurting your feelings, and in this moment, Jesus looks at two people and says, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe. All that the prophets have spoken, exclamation point. You are thinking like a fool. And you know what? To add to it, you're really slow to believe. You're thick-headed, man. How do you not understand this, bro? Come on. Are you guys with me this morning? Have you ever had God speak to you like this? And I don't mean that it was an audible voice, but I can promise you, if God is never speaking to you in a manner that that is confrontational to you, that's abrasive at times, that makes you say, Oh, that kind of that hurt a little bit. If the only voice you ever hear is the one that's just patting you on the back and saying, good job, add a boy, add a girl, good job, I promise you, you're not hearing the Holy Spirit. Because if you and I If you're like me, you still are impacted by sin and you still make knuckleheaded decisions. You still pack your bags and start heading for a destination that you shouldn't be going to. Hello. Stop being a fool. Hello. Why are you being so slow to believe? You're being a knucklehead in this moment. But where's my jesus of compassion who understands and makes me feel good in the middle of my pain jesus will draw you out of your pain and sometimes that comes by him saying stop it stop doing that stop thinking that way stop heading that way you're kind of being a fool why are you being so slow to believe God, the God that you talk about, the God that you pray to, the God that you fast for once a year or twice a year, the God that you're working on this church and setting up and breaking down for, do you really believe him or do you not? Why are you being so slow to actually trust him and believe him? Uh Uh-oh. Why weren't the disciples able to see? Two reasons, because they were persisting in foolish thought and even foolish behavior. And they were hard of heart. And yet these were people who were around Jesus and they were around his ministry. And when we talk about the church, And the reputation of Christians being kind of cranky at times, the crotchety, you know, the neighbor, get off my lawn, you know, and and that's the reputation the world has of of Christians. You know why that's the case sometimes? It's because our hearts have become stony, and they've become hard of heart. And we begin to persist in foolish living. That being said, God doesn't mind hurting your feelings. And I want to use this as an example. You're probably wondering why there's a bowl of tennis balls up here right now. My son has been taking tennis lessons. In fact, two of my sons have been taking tennis lessons. And I thought this was a funny story that happened, and it it didn't occur to me to use it in in a message, but I'm going to use it in a message right now. My son, you know, my oldest son is is playing tennis, and there's a kid that's 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 getting tennis lessons as well. And you know, they're I'm an assistant coach. I don't know how that happened. I've never even played a day of tennis in my life, but I'm the assistant coach. So I'm, you know, we're throwing balls and you know all this stuff and helping kids hit the ball. And there's there's a child that's in there with him that's just whining and complaining all the time. When I say whining and complaining, we're talking next level whining and complaining. And this, the kid missed a shot and is just, you know, kind of pitching a fit and throws his racket down on the tennis court. And Graham's coach is on the other side of the tennis net, like on the other side of the court. And he just picks up a ball, throws it up, hits it with his racket, and like a laser beam, that ball just goes and hits that kid in the forehead. All the way across the tennis court, just pop, and, you know, the kid stops, you know, and he starts whining and crying some more, and the coach walks over, and he says, he's, he's, he has this Czech, Czechoslovakian accent, so it's a little bit of broken English, why you cry, why you cry, why you let the ball hit you, how you play tennis if ball hurts you, Move out the way. Stop whining. Stop complaining. Pick yourself up and play tennis. Are you ready? I'm standing there and I'm just like, teach me everything you know about life. Teach me everything you know about life. He's clearly good. Hits that ball. And it got me thinking how many times in life either I've needed or God has literally just graciously and kindly want you to hear me. He has sent a tennis ball to my forehead to say, hey, wake up, man. Stop complaining. Stop whining. You're acting like a fool. You're persisting in behavior here that's, that's knuckleheaded. Why are you being so slow to trust me and so slow to believe? Why are you being so slow? So you, you get the idea right, and everyone's head is down. But but you get the idea right, where where, right? I just scared somebody, right? Where you're sitting here, and and it's like God just sends a tennis ball right to you like a rocket, and He's making you think, and He's He's making you say, Hey, why are you being so why are you being so knuckleheaded? Why are you being so slow to believe? Why don't you wake up? and actually trust this Bible that you talk about all the time. Look at what Jesus is saying. Is I, I've offended literally everybody in here by hitting them with a tennis ball. I don't think anybody caught one. Some of you just got scared because you were looking down at whatever Bible you were looking at. And now you understand what I'm talking about. God will mess with you in moments just like that. You're cruising along. You've got your destination in mind. Your eyes are set. You're even talking to the person next to you, and you know what it's like when you're hurt. You love to talk to other people who are hurt, and you just you're, you're you know you're walking and talking with your other hurt spouse or hurt friend, and God just throws a tennis ball and hits you right in the forehead and says, "Stop! You're being like a fool for a second. How foolish you are, and slow to believe all that the prophets." have spoken he's referring to the scriptures oh you know it here but you just don't know it here did the messiah not have to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with moses and all the prophets he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself the great news is that jesus doesn't leave you in this state of being hurt or just calling you a fool, or confronting your pride. He is kind and merciful and gracious, and the Holy Spirit comes right alongside and begins to teach you the truth. But if you're not willing to hear him, if you're not willing to open your eyes for a minute and and look around and, and have a moment where you humble yourself before God, you may miss what he's trying to do in your life. See, their outward circumstances were a reflection of their inward circumstances. I'm say this one more time. These disciples had outward circumstances, and they were bleak. Things weren't going well. The road ahead was rocky, and it was dark, and it was hopeless, and ultimately it was a reflection of the inner circumstances of their heart. Because this is the same problem that they have inside their heart. It's not soft soil. It's a rocky, hard place. But we serve a God who changes everything. He's not finished with you. And thank God he's not finished with me. Their outward inability to see reflected their inward inability to believe. relate to this so well because this was me i could have told you all the right things to say yet the connection between head and heart was the biggest distance what is what do they say the three feet between or the two feet between your head and your heart is the biggest distance you'll ever traverse in your life and that's true thankfully jesus will help you do it Verse 28, it says that as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. (laughs) I love Jesus. Like, Jesus wasn't going any further, but he, he was acting like he was. Like He's getting ready to disappear here in just a moment. He did not have business beyond Emmaus, but they sure thought he did. And they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. See, I do believe that Jesus allows things to happen in your life to draw out what's really in your heart. To draw out what's really in there. And there's a longing. Even as they're spending time with Jesus, there's something familiar, isn't there? There's something about his presence. Even in the moments where they're being confronted or challenged or or. Or, or, or they're just being taught something that they hadn't understood before. There's something about his presence. There's something about this Jesus that they're longing for. There's something missing in their heart and in their soul, and they're loving their time with him. They're loving it. They're craving more of it. They're not looking to shut the door for the night. No, 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 no. The night's... The night's here, don't, I tell you what, don't, don't travel any further and said, sit down with us. Would you eat with us? Would you spend more time with us? See, there's a hunger and a thirst that happens inside of us. When Jesus changes everything or he begins to change everything, there's a thirst that happens inside of you. And some of you know what it's like to have lost that hunger and to have lost that thirst. You can relate to these people right here. Jesus, would you come in and dine with me? Would you eat with me? I want some more time with you. Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true the Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now it took us a while to get here. You've got two people who were witnesses of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They were also In the conversation room when people were going to the tomb and found the 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 stone rolled away they were in the conversations about angels appearing and they were in the conversations when disciples went to the tomb and found no one there but they just it just didn't penetrate their heart it didn't move from here to here it didn't make sense to them. They weren't fully grasping it. And so in their discouragement and in their, in, their, in their pain and in their hopelessness, they pack their bags and they leave for Emmaus. And Jesus appears to them on the road and he begins to confront their hard hearts. And he does so by opening the scriptures to them. And their hearts begin to burn inside of them. Not because the Bible is some spell book, but because the the word of God that is alive and active points you to Jesus Christ. The word of God. And in this moment, they they, they sit down. And can you imagine? Once again, there's Jesus who, they, they don't know what's going on. All of a sudden, their eyes are open as they take the bread and they begin to eat it. And then, like that, Jesus is gone. What do you do? Do you persist in the direction that you were headed? No. You don't. Or at least they didn't. What did the scriptures say? It happened, it says, at once they got up. And they returned back. They got back to their people. They got back to the place where faith was, was on the rise. They got back to mission control. They got back to where their community was and their people was and, and Jesus had been working and ministering. And this is where the beginning and birthing of the early church is getting ready to take place. They're getting to experience Pentecost before too long and the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But they would have missed it, church. If they hadn't turned around at once and gone back to Jerusalem. And Jesus, when we say that He will change everything, He will change the direction of your life. And sometimes that's really uncomfortable. Sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes that's painful. Sometimes it's the very thing you have just been wanting and waiting for more than anything else. And so when it finally comes, it's like a breath of fresh air. And sometimes God actually changes the direction of your life by making you stay. I'm trying to get out of this thing. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going to make my fortune and make my life over here. And Jesus just absolutely redirects and changes everything. What do you do in these moments? What do you do in these moments where the God of the universe seems to almost be throwing a tennis ball at your face? And saying, uh-uh this way. What do you do? I'm going to encourage you with the most trite answer. And yet, it rings true. When Jesus is redirecting your life and he's changing the course and direction of where you're headed, you know what you can do? You can trust Him. You literally can trust Him. And I would even encourage you to take one step forward in this moment. That sometimes our hearts get hard and what you need more than anything else is for your heart to come alive again. For it to Burn with that passion for Jesus, for who He is, for the mission of God, for those who don't know Him, for His name to be exalted, for His name to be made great, a hunger and thirst for Jesus to fill you and to use you that you would walk in the gifts of the Spirit again, that you would exercise faith and talk to someone, or that you would get up in the morning and spend time with God again. We know what it's like when our hearts begin to grow cold or the, the embers grow cold overnight, like a fire that just begins to go out and we just begin to walk away. And what you need to do more than anything else is listen for God's voice Trust him and put yourself in front of the scriptures and let the Bible and the word of God, the holy word of God, bring your heart back to life again. You're sitting here and you're saying, I don't even know how to do that. I recognize that. And so it begins like this. God, you help me the fire in my heart is going out or it feels like it's gone out I need one of these moments I need an Emmaus moment where you bring my heart back to life see God's okay with really vulnerable conversations he's okay with you being in pain that doesn't scare him. He'll meet you right where your pain is. He'll sometimes respond in ways that you didn't expect him to in the middle of your pain at times. But what he never does is leave you or forsake you. He loves you with an everlasting love, and this is where getting up in the morning or, or before you go to bed, rising up in faith and reminding yourself what the scriptures say. It's amazing what happens when you begin to take the word and move it from here to your heart and you remind yourself that you are someone that God cares about, that there are precious promises for you in the scriptures. That God loves me with an everlasting love and the next time I begin to feel rejected or like God doesn't care about myself, I need to remind myself what the word of God says I am loved with an everlasting love for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to die for my sins. I am loved. I am cherished. I am God's treasured possession. I am the head and I am not the tail. God has great things in store for me. I'm not selling you some prosperity gospel today that somehow your life will just be perfect and God wants to give you a sack of money. That isn't true, but God wants to be the center of your life. And when Jesus is the center of your life, let me tell you something. You're going to begin walking in the right direction. He changes everything. Stand to your feet this morning. I'm kind of getting all over the place as I I close this message today. There are two types of people here today that I want this message to speak to. I mean, I could speak to any of you here this morning, but some of you are sitting here and the lights just feels like the light's gone out in your heart. And what you long for is your heart's to burn again for faith in God and your love for Him. I want you to pray with me right here. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to come down front this morning, although we're going to have people available to pray with you here in just a moment, but right where you are, say, Jesus, I need you now. My heart's gone out and I need you to light that fire again. Help me to hunger and thirst for your presence. Help me to long for what is right, for what is true, for what is good. the word of God come alive in me again today. Amen. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If the light is going out or you feel just feel thin, if you feel empty, I want to encourage you to do a couple things. Number one, don't quit reading the scriptures because you feel dry. One of the reasons you feel dry is because Oftentimes, we're not reading the scriptures. I mentioned it last week, and I'll mention it again this week. Start with the book of Mark. It's 16 chapters, and you can read a chapter a day. It's action packed, it's filled with who Jesus is. And it will remind you the kind of God that we serve. But the other thing that you can do is you can get involved in in a life group around other people so that when you're walking that road to Emmaus, you have somebody saying, hey, we're going the wrong direction. Hey, let's start walking this way. And you have some accountability and you have some other people around you that you can talk to and get coffee with and have a bad day with and cry with. You need this. The other group of people that's sitting here this morning, if you if you just know, I know God has been throwing that tennis ball at me and saying you're going the wrong way, you're going the wrong direction. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray with me too. Say, Jesus... Whatever it is, I repent. I'm turning away from that right now, and I'm turning to you. Help me to live for you. Thank you that you change everything. You change the direction of my life, and I'm asking that you would change it. Church, God is not afraid to change your life. It's one of the greatest things you'll ever experience. Whether you're in middle school, high school, elementary school, college, whether you graduated from all that a long time ago, whether you've got jobs, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, Jesus is not done changing who you are. He's working his kingdom inside of you and in our community. Let's be part of it. Amen. As next week, it is my great joy and privilege uh, to be here, not preaching, but listening to the great Catherine Nicholson preach next Sunday. And I personally am super excited about that. want you to bring a friend because I can promise you she's going to leave you feeling encouraged get here bring an appetite for some nachos after service it's going to be a great Sunday amen I'll see you next week I also need those tennis balls back okay have a great Sunday